this is the sixth Sunday of Easter, and we're getting close to the conclusion of the great 50 days, the Feast of Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit on the people of God. And over the last two weeks, the readings, particularly from uh, the uh, epistle and the gospel, have focused on God's love, our participation in the love of God, um, how we understand today friendship and what that might mean. And in the book of Acts today, we have Peter's speech about the Holy Spirit and encountering a group of people who uh, made them try, couldn't figure things out because they had the Spirit, but they weren't baptized. What do we do about that? So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, God's love uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, or maybe a lot. Remember Father Thomas Keating uh, says uh, this time of year, he'll, it, it, it applies all during the liturgical year for Episcopalians. But there are three great theological themes that are introduced to us during this season. And remember in the origin of the Christian year, Easter was, if you will, the first post in the establishment of a liturgical year. So Easter, and then the preparatory season that grew around it, and then the week before Easter, which was uh, the original preparatory time, and then Easter itself moving to Pentecost. So this time of year is when we're introduced to all the great theological themes. Um, I say it in, in my sermons during Easter, the light of Christ, the rehearsal of the history of salvation, the power of baptism coursing through the church and participation in the Holy Eucharist where we're fed with that spiritual food and drink which animates us uh, through the week to be God's people in the world. So let me say first in the book of Acts, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, some of you may be aware, if not all of you, that over the last uh, 10 years or so, there have been a certain number of kerfuffles in the Episcopal Church. There are always kerfuffles, but the people who are the producer of the kerfuffles want us to think and believe that the present kerfuffles have at stake the very foundations of Christian faith and life. And this is important because uh, we need to see whether that's true or not, or partly true and partly not. I mean, there's a, a variety of ways uh, to talk about that. So we believe as Christian people that, uh, and Luke, our patron, who wrote the gospel according to Luke and wrote the book of Acts, Uh, believe that what he was writing about was the presence of the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus, and in the book of Acts, the transfer of the Holy Spirit to the people of God, us, to be God's people in the world. So the Holy Spirit is the energy by which we accomplish God's work in the world. Uh, some of you may believe that I'm talking about a particularly religious message, uh, and the way you live your religious message is to do stuff like Ann White's done for a long time. 
That's one of the ways. It's not just uh, being able to uh, have a richer vocabulary about Christian faith and belief, although that won't hurt. And it won't hurt you to be acquainted with the deep things of Christian faith and belief. And it won't kill you to become a student of the Bible and to read the Bible and to understand. My teacher, O.C. Edwards, at Neshota House many years ago, I've told you this before, says it's not as important what the Bible means, what the Bible says. It's important what the Bible means. So you and I are to be engaged in that continuous process. So here's the situation on the ground in the book of Acts. Peter, and it says here the circumcised. That's the Jewish Christians who believed, Peter was one, that you had to be a Jew to be a Christian. Or if you were not, you had to become a Jew to be a Christian. And that meant that all males had to be circumcised. You had to keep the dietary laws. And you had to keep the Sabbath. This is the bare minimum. Right? You had to do those things. So they're talking about the, 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 the Gentiles. Luke was a Gentile. Most of his community were Gentiles. I would venture to guess that most of us are Gentiles. Right now, we don't think that that's a term of opprobrium or, you know, bad negative term. Right. So remember that the New Testament was written in Greek. And so when uh, Peter talked about the Gentiles, he talked about the ethne. It's where we get the word ethnic from. Ethne means those people. Right? Those people as opposed to, in Greek, laos, where we get laity in English. And laos means our people. So it was something of a shock to see that those people had possessed the Holy Spirit of God. But they hadn't been baptized. They hadn't gone through the sacrament of baptism. We believe, and I believe, that in, as the church has developed and uh, written about and thought about the sacraments, that there is, in fact, a bestowal of the Holy Spirit at your baptism. But what this is a text about is that the Holy Spirit can be present in unexpected places and with unexpected people. And so you and I need to be open to the possibility that the Holy Spirit is present in those who don't believe or is present in those who would like to believe or is present in those who actively disbelieve but are doing God's work in the world. This is an unthinkable proposition. Remember that um, the, eth the, the, the Laos, Peter, could consult his own sacred literature for affirmations of the fact that you had to be Laos and not ethnic. So how do you get from ethne to Laos? And so this particular passage caused Peter to do a big think. It was not a stretch for Luke because he was a Gentile. But he was probably also... Um, drawn to Judaism because of its very firm uh, moral and ethical uh, ideas. 
Those people were called proselytes. They hung around the Jews, but they didn't become Jews. They didn't get, they didn't get circumcised. They didn't do, do this sort of thing. So he's not hostile. John's gospel is more hostile to the Jews. But this, this uh, writer, Luke, is not. So this is a story about the whole idea of how we understand the plural ways uh, and respond to the challenges and opportunities uh, in the church. I'm going to say something about that in a few minutes. But before I do, I want to speak about the, the whole idea of uh, God's love. God's light, God's life, God's love. So the epistle... Uh, the first epistle of John talks a lot about this participation and obeying the commandments. You know, when you read or hear read to you the Johannine literature, keep, as I keep saying, keep that on ice. You never know when you'll be able to spring it on somebody and say, Johannine. <laughs> but John, or the author of the, the, the gospel and the epistles, uh, is concerned about uh, God's love being the operative principle in all human interaction. So sometimes when you hear this, as I said, you'll be saying, I'm only getting about 10% of this. Because there's a lot of in me and in you and in him. and, and, and you know. So you need to read this carefully and understand what, what John is, is getting at. So that maybe is a segue to the gospel. So we're going to hear about God's love. We've been prepared for Pentecost by uh, the, the reading from Acts on the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to hear Jesus speak to the disciples uh, about the importance of friendship. Here's a highfalutin definition of friendship. Friendship, strictly speaking, is the mutual goodwill of two persons who accept each other profoundly in view of reciprocal growth. Oh, gee. <laughs> but I looked it up, and, you know, I think it was in Wikipedia, but it could have been in a book, which I still have a number of that I consult <laughs> from time to time. I had somebody come into my office once and look around at all the bookshelves and said, have you read all these books? <laughs> and uh, remember, Doc, some of you may not have ever heard of Dr. Johnson, but Dr. Johnson is an important figure in the history of Western ideas. Uh, Dr. Johnson said, sir, I have read in them. So that was my comment. I have read in them. I hope you do too, even if they're on a Kindle. I have a Kindle now. I'm reading most of the stuff on a Kindle. Think of it. Think of it. Uh, there are different degrees of friendship. And Jesus in this gospel is speaking about the type of friendship that he has with his disciples and with those who have heard his uh, words and, and seen his works. And he calls them friends. And he believes that there is a level of intimacy that has been achieved between those who believe and him. 
Now remember that last week in the gospel he said, I have other sheep of this fold and I must bring them in as well. That's a paraphrase of what the text says. And so that means that the, 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 the willingness to extend friendship, fellowship, intimacy is always there both in the life of the church and in people who have become decent human beings because that's what this means to grow in the spirit to become a fully mature individual you know I've said this many times if you read Matthew's gospel and you read Jesus uh, in Matthew he said you must be perfect even if your father as your father in heaven is perfect Right. So in the original language, the word for perfect actually means mature. Now, David Brewer can get around mature better than perfect. And you all know that there are a lot of people who become sick or crazy trying to be perfect. Right. But then you get into the Ralph Cramden syndrome where you're there with Ed Norton and he's taken the manual dexterity test for the police force in New York and he's putting all these pieces in the corresponding hole and Norton says to him, Ralph, you can't put a square peg in a round hole. He said, you can if you force it. So a lot of us have spent a lot of time trying to force a square peg in a round hole. So friendship can be of varying degrees. It could be that uh, you're friends with somebody because they're a stamp collector, right? Or something else, you know? But sometimes you have friendship with people that is very deep and uh, not, not always of long standing, but deep. And uh, you, need to, you need to keep connected to, to your friends. Uh, I think it's been said before, I have a, a bias, I guess. I think it's harder for men to have friends than it is for women. I think that's a tougher deal. But it doesn't mean we should stop trying and to see if we can, we can have that kind of friendship. Uh, this last week, or ten days, I've been reading a book uh, that I want to share with you because it has something to do with friendship but it extends beyond that, and I'm going to preach about it more as I read more uh, in the book. But it's a book by a man named Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. And the title of the book is The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. So Jonathan Haidt is a moral psychologist. I never, I never thought that there was any such thing, right? Because I know about moral theologians and I also know about people who are concerned with ethics and morality. And they talk about it, whether they're believers or not believers. Haidt happens to be, I think, a non-believer. doesn't believe it. Christianity or even the tradition he came out of, which was Judaism. So he has come to the conclusion, based on, you know, testing people and a lot of uh, surveys and a lot of stuff and studying the history of how people have understood children being raised and how they develop a moral sense, where it comes from, right? 
And he's, he's now, he dis, has distilled this into saying that people in terms of the categories that they use to measure moral action or to think about somebody's behavior with regard to whether they consider it morally acceptable or not. And he has six categories. Care, fairness, liberty, loyalty, authority, and sanctity. Now, in the studies, here's the deal. He says that liberals focus mainly on care, fairness, and liberty. They don't care very much about loyalty, authority, and sanctity. So all the stuff you hear this day, these days in the media and in the conversation among liberals, this is where the focus is on care, fairness, and liberty. Remember, in my opinion, in the United States, uh, the, 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 the triumph of the autonom autonomous self is one of the highest moral goods that we hold as a people. You should be able to do whatever you want to do. I read a book some years ago called Forbidden Knowledge by Richard, I think his first name was Shattuck. And he talks about a lot of things in there in terms of the history of ideas and everything. And he said, says something in his book that my morals and ethics professor used to say to us or ask us in seminary. And he would say, uh, is there any information that we don't need to know? Is there anything we don't need to know or shouldn't know? Right? If we can do something, should we do it? Because we know how. So I think that most of us these days say we should do whatever we want to do. Right? Because we're free. Liberty. And we're concerned about victims. We're concerned about people who are harmed as the result of other people's actions. You know, that's been... Uh, in some ways in advance, hasn't it? But there's, there are issues there that we won't get into now, but I will some other time. And fairness is important, you know? There are some things that go on in the culture that are just blatantly unfair and they need to be changed. They're not fair because they're based on the tension between ethne and laos. our people and those people. And part of it has to do with the fact that most of us associate with people like us, like ourselves. We don't really associate with people who are, who are different, and uh, either racially or emotionally, different, just plain different, you know? So here's the thing. He says that conservatives focus on all six So I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I think I'm a liberal. If I had to check a box, I would say, yeah, liberal. But the problem is here that I believe in loyalty, authority, and sanctity, too. So where do I fit? Maybe in the Anglican position, 
in the middle, right? The via media, as it says in Latin, the middle way in the origins of our tradition. So those other things are important, and cultures have different emphases over time. And so maybe that's one of the ways to understand this. What does this do? How does this relate in any way to friendship? I heard somebody speak the other day on one of the news uh, stations on, in the, on the television. And they, had been, uh, they were, had been a congressman or a senator for some time. And they may have retired or, or left uh, one of them. And uh, more than one of them said, you know, uh, in the old days, Democrats and Republicans would go out to lunch with each other or have dinner with each other and talk about stuff. And they would uh, have big disagreements, but they'd say, how are we going to do something for this issue of social policy? How do we understand this economically? And how do we balance these competing uh, ideas? And because of friendship, now, I'm aware of the fact that friendship can resort, result also in cronyism. So I'm not advocating this by any stretch of the imagination. We don't want it. No cronyism, right? No cooking up stuff. My grandfather used to refer to the boys in the back room. I'm going to have to consult with the boys in the back room. Then boys, right? And now most of the time, boys. So, how do we understand that? Because there were real friendships, you know? I think about some of the great Republicans in this country, like Everett Dirksen. Just popped into my mind. Maybe it's because he said, you know, a billion here, a billion there, sooner or later you get into some real money. <laughs> right? My grandfather came back to life today. He wouldn't recognize this Republican Party. Uh, is there a point of view coming through? Yes. But he wouldn't. What I'm saying is, is that the kind of friendships that people have that are close uh, can produce uh, a more equitable and a more mutually satisfying solution. And now we've got some people here who are not, who, who's, who are, Another, my grand stuff popping into my head because of my mother and my parents is, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Right? And there are people who, in this present situation, are not going to change. And they're not going to associate with people with ethne. They're going to uh, associate with Laos. So Christian people always need to be on their guard, don't they? But they don't get to now Laos because that's who we understand ourselves to be and then think about, think about ethne. That's why we need to sit lightly on some of the stuff that before people said we have to live or die over. I'm not a great fan of John Shelby Spong by any stretch of the imagination, but he said something that resonates to me uh, with me at my own age now with some qualifications and he said uh, uh, the older I get 
the more I believe. And the older I get, I have less beliefs. So just chew on that a little bit and see what you think. This week, work on your friendships, if you have any. I mean, I have some. Probably not enough, you know? And remember that Jesus called every one of us friend and believed and was was edified by the uh, friendship that he had with the people who were drawn to him. So work on your friendships. Put yourself in a position, as I said at the Mass, um, how do I get what you have? Amen.